Hello, and thank you for tuning in to the Turn Evangelism Podcast with T.S. Myers. Our prayer is that this message impacts your life. If it does, let us know by going to turnevangelism.com forward slash connect and let us know how God used this message to influence you. If you would like to follow our ministry, we would love for you to go to turnevangelism.com and check us out. I want to start with the main idea right at the beginning. And here it is. If you want to persevere, if you want to to remain till the end as a Christian, if you want to persevere, you know there's something you got to do. You have to stay close to Christ. Now notice what I didn't say. I didn't say follow all these rules. Okay, I said stay close to Christ. That's what I said, and I want to I will unpack what that means throughout the message as we close the book of Colossians, which Mike has asked me to close. So we're getting through a whole chapter. Have some fun. Buckle your seatbelts, okay? We're doing this. So when I, was, uh, when I was young, and Mikey and I were young, we, by the way, I call him Pastor Mike, Mikey. So if you hear it slip like that, he's been Mikey my whole life. He'll always be Mikey to me. I was never Tommy, by the way. <laughs> Thomas. Just be clear, okay? I'm not Tommy. I'm not Tom Tom. Okay. All right, so when we were being raised in California, we would go to the beach, and the waves in California, they're just way more powerful than the waves here in Miami. I mean, sometimes you get some swells here in Miami, but uh, most of the time in California, you can pretty much bank. If you go to the beach, you're going to be able to boogie board, or uh, we didn't really surf much until we got a little older, but you're able to boogie board, and and those waves will take you, you know? And one of the things that will happen if you're not careful is if you don't look at where your parents are on the shore and keep them in, in your eyesight and you take your eyes off of them and you play with your brothers and you're on these waves, after time you start to drift away from your parents. And the current is so strong in California that before you know it, if you don't pay attention, if you don't work to swim back to that point where your parents are on the shore, you start to drift and you drift and drift. And sometimes I remember Mikey and I, we would get out of the water and we would be walking back for what seemed to be like forever. We didn't even realize that the waves had taken us that far. So, cause we, we couldn't swim back. The current was too strong. So we had to get out of the water and then we had to walk back to where our parents had set up camp at the beach. And sometimes it just felt like we were walking forever and ever. And I'm like, man, I didn't even realize. I didn't even realize how far the current was taking me. So we drifted without realizing it. And why do we drift? Because we took our eyes off of where my parents had set up camp. That's why. Because sometimes we would pay attention to it and we'd be like, oh, we got to swim back. And we'd swim back a little bit. But sometimes you get too far. So we have a tendency in this culture, especially in American culture, to drift away. Maybe it's a friendship that you started with and it started great and it started to drift, okay? Or maybe it's a thing. It's a new, new thing that you bought and you enjoyed it so much. Maybe it's the latest iPhone, right? And you're already drifting away from that because the new one's coming out. Who knows? But we have a tendency to drift. And we take this even into our walk with God as well. And we treat him like we treat everything else in this culture, And he does a great impact on our lives when we first come to know him. And we think, man, this is great. And I'm so glad that I'm with God. And then after a while, it's in our nature as humans to take our eyes off of Jesus and to drift. And I want to say this. If you want to persevere, you got to keep your eyes on Jesus. 
You have to do more than just keep your eyes on Jesus. You actually have to stay close to him. It's about a relationship with him. Maybe that's you and that describes you. You know, you've, you've started out and you were a Christian. You got saved a few years ago and you found yourself drifting. And you're like, how did I get here? But people don't know. But you know you're far from Jesus. How did, how did I get here? I'm reading a book by an, an author named Rebecca DeYoung right now. It's called Glittering Vices. And she goes over the seven capital vices. And one of the vices that she goes over is the vice of sloth. What a weird name for a vice, right? So one of the things that she goes over is why sloth is bad. So if you guys were to tell me what sloth was, what would you say? What is sloth? Just somebody tell me. I'm a sloth. Hey, how are you guys doing today? Right? That's, oh, you guys are hilarious, right? Oh, man, I would drink this, but it's too heavy. All right, so yeah, we think, we think sloth, we think laziness, right? Okay, well, that's a manifestation of the vice in our hearts, but it's not the only manifestation of that vice. That manifestation, is, it's, it comes to the surface in, and it looks like laziness to some people, but to other people, it actually might look like being a workaholic. Did you know that? Well, this is the definition of the vice of sloth. Sloth is apathy towards the commitments of love in our lives. Let me say that again, and I'll say it slower. Okay, it's apathy towards the commitments of love in our lives. And so just imagine a married couple fighting. They've committed to love each other. And that's the commitment they made at the beginning of their marriage. It was novel. It was fun. They were excited about it. But one night they get into a big fight. And one goes to one end of the house and the other goes to the other end of the house. And one buries himself in his work and looks like a workaholic. The other one goes to sleep because she can't handle it. They're both doing the same thing when it comes to the vice of their heart. They're avoiding their commitment to love. What they really need to do is they need to do the hard thing and come together and reconcile. They need to talk it out, but that's hard. And so the vice of sloth takes root when we don't want to face what we've committed to. There it is. And when we say at the beginning of our walk with Christ, Jesus, I want to be close to you. And he draws close to us and brings us into this relationship with him. And it's novel and it's new and it's great. And we say, Lord, I commit my life to you. And then a few years pass. And we start to take our eyes off Jesus. And we say, well, maybe I'll look over here. And we start to drift. Well, maybe I, I, this sin's not that bad. And we start to drift. And before we know it, we're further than we ever wanted to be from Jesus Christ. Here's the thing. If you want to persevere, you got to stay close to him. You got to stay close to him. So what happens if you found yourself drifting from God? Now let's, let's, let's uh, go for another analogy. Why not? So just imagine if sin is on this side of the room and God is on this side of the room, right? Here's what you need to do. If you're struggling with sin and you're getting closer to sin, you're taking eyes off of Jesus and you're getting further and further from Jesus, you need to repent. And repentance is not you merely stopping your sinning. Okay, let me be clear. You know, so say I'm struggling, say what you're struggling with is, is lust, okay? Well, I'm going to just stop being lustful. Maybe, maybe it's avarice. I'm going to stop being greedy. I'm going to stop being greedy. I'm not going to be greedy anymore. Well, here's the deal. It makes no difference if you stop being greedy or stop being lustful. You stop being dishonest and you don't turn to God. That, that's not repentance. Repentance is you letting go of this and turning to God. Okay, you understand? Now, here's what God offers you in the gospel. 
It's not a bunch of do's and don'ts in the gospel. It's start a relationship with Jesus. And here's just what happens by virtue of knowing Jesus in the gospel. It's if you draw close to Jesus in that relationship and you get nearer and nearer and nearer to him as you grow in your walk with him, what naturally happens, look how far away I am from sin now. I'm not thinking I need to stop sinning. I need to stop sinning. I'm thinking I need to get closer to Jesus. And so, yeah, you stop sinning You don't continue in your sin rather, but why? Because of the relationship that you have with Jesus. If you see Christianity as a bunch of rules, do's and don'ts, you're going to fail. It's going to be a burden on your heart that you can't handle. But if you take it for what it is, a relationship with the living God of the universe that he invites you into, You'll find that in the midst of your turning to him and him pulling you to him, he strengthens you and empowers you to get closer to him and further from sin. So do you struggle with the vice of sloth? Are you drifting? What would the world say if you were drifting? I mean, you you might hear them say something like, well, you know, you should just go with the flow. Just go, you know, that's old, out with the old, in with the new. I mean, it doesn't, it didn't work for you. I mean, you hear about this in marriage relationships. You know, I just don't love him anymore. As if that's what genuine, godly, biblical love is. Like it's rooted in a feeling. No, love is a commitment. So the world will say, go with the flow. Yeah, give that up. Take on something new. Leave what is old, go for what's new. Maybe you don't even have to give up the name Christian. You can just tell people you're Christians. Who cares? Yeah, just tell them you're Christians. When somebody asks you, then what what are you going to tell them? Well, they think you're a Christian. What are you going to tell them? You're going to make excuses. You're going to say, well, hey, why are you so far from Jesus? Well, you know, I would, but that's just too hard. I would would draw closer to God here, but I'm I'm just kind of bored with that. It's taking too long, and so I want to drop off. And, And the more you do this, the more you drift. You drift, you drift. And then the rationalization kicks in. To rationalize something is not to be rational with something. Rationality is a good thing. To rationalize is to make excuses. It sounds like you're being rational, but really you're being irrational. You start thinking things like this. You start thinking, well, you know what? Jesus would forgive me if I did this bad thing, right? Or everybody's doing it. Here's a good, here's the deal. You know, 99 times out of 100, you're not special, okay? You're not, you're not, oh, I'm just struggling more than people. Don't give yourself that excuse, okay? Now, I'm not saying that there aren't people with addictions, but I am saying we rationalize and we make that an excuse to do why we want to do what we want to do. Well, Jesus will forgive me. It's not, it's not that bad, is it? Or I struggle more than others. I mean, I should get a pass. I've been working so hard I'm being faithful to Jesus. I should get a pass this one time. That's rationalization. And here's the problem though. When we untether ourselves from that relationship with God and and we start to rationalize and we start to turn back, we drift, we drift, we drift. And then we wonder, how did I get so far? I'll tell you how. You didn't stay close to Jesus. Now God can bring you close to him again. And God can forgive your sins But when vices take root in your heart, even though God forgives your sins, even though he loves you no matter what, you put yourself in a position, even as a Christian, that takes work to get out of. You guys understand what I'm saying? We've got to be realistic here. Yes, Jesus forgives you. Yes, because of his blood, you come into his presence. You don't have to work to be in his presence. But if you want to get that vice out of your life, if, if if it's taken root in your life, now... Now you got some work to do and you need a community like this to help you get out of it.
So what is God's solution? Do you want to persevere? Do you want to make sure that you are not deceived by false teaching? Well, then God says that you must stay close to Jesus because when you drift from Jesus, you get closer and closer to false teachers. Well, that guy rationalizes his sin. I want to hang around him. He says what I want to hear. He tickles my ears. He says, I don't have to believe this part of the Bible. As if we get to choose what God says and doesn't say. Colossians chapter 2, 6 gives us a remedy. It says, so then just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. So I received Jesus as Lord. Great, I've accepted Christ into my heart. He's the Lord of my life. Now continue to live your lives in him. That's what the scripture says. And then it goes on to say in verse eight, it says, see to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. So what is Paul saying? Depend on Christ. He's the one who brings you to fullness. He's the one who's preeminent above all things, before, in, and through all things. All things happen because of him. Trust in him. He's the source of wisdom, not these false teachers. And so then what does he say? Depend on Christ, not these hollow, deceptive philosophies. They promise big, but they deliver small. They're empty, hollow, deceptive philosophies. To deceive someone is to sell something to someone as if it were true, but it's not. If you read a few verses before, we see the goal in Paul's writing in verse Two, we're going to just backtrack a little bit, Colossians 2, 2. He says, my goal is that they, that is those who Paul is writing to and those that he's praying for, that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ. Knowing Christ. So that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, not some of them. And so if you go to anybody else to find all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge or some of the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, and you don't go to Christ, it's false teaching. Stay close to Jesus. And then what does he say in verse four? He says, I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine sounding arguments. Stay close to Jesus. There it is. If you want to persevere in good teaching, you must stay close to the teacher. The further you get from the teacher, the more likely it is that you're going to fall into error. You might think, I don't agree with Jesus here, and then you drift. I don't, I don't agree with Jesus there, and, and, and you drift. It's no wonder why there's so much false teaching today in the church. Because people want itchy ear theology. They want to hear what their itching ears want to hear, not what the word of God says. So how does God keep us from drifting? He doesn't say obey more rules. He says, stay close to Jesus. I'm just going to keep on bringing this home. We're going to keep harping on this point, the whole message. Continue to live your lives in him. Today, I want to finish the book of Colossians by explaining some practical ways we can remain close to Jesus so that we do not drift away. 
Great, don't drift away. How do I keep from drifting away, Thomas? How do I keep from drifting away? Well, it's much more simple than you think it is. Remaining close to Jesus means that we must continue, first of all, praying. Praying. Look at Colossians chapter 4, verse 2. Paul is wrapping up this, this letter about, about people in this community who have been infiltrated by false teachers, and he's telling them these are hollow, deceptive philosophies that Jesus Christ is the source of wisdom and knowledge. He brings you to fullness. Lean on him. Stay close to him. And then he gives you some practical advice right here. And this is what he says in verse 2. He says, devote yourselves to prayer. He doesn't just say pray when you feel like it. He says, devote. You show devotion to your wife or your husband or your closest friend. You remember what that word means? You are intentionally, vigilantly praying to God. To devote here means to continue in prayer, to busy yourself with prayer, to continue steadfastly in prayer, devote yourselves to prayer. And then it goes on to say how we should pray, being watchful and thankful. So what does it mean to be watchful? This means stay awake while you're praying. Keep awake while you're praying. Like a guard on duty, be watchful in your prayers. How can you be watchful? You can be watchful by looking out and looking at the world today and seeing the times that we're living in and praying for the circumstances of the believers around the world. Did you know, by the way, that around the world today, there is more persecution today than in all of history? At the end of the letter, Paul says, remember my chains. We are called to pray for these people to be watchful, to know the times that we're living in, to know that we are closer now to the day of Christ coming back than, than, than we were 2,000 years ago. We are called to be watchful. And then we're also called to be watchful in the, in the expectation of God answering our prayers as well. We need to trust, and every time we pray, we need to know and be confident that God is going to answer our prayers. Now, he might say no to your prayers, but that's an answer. And why does he say no? He says no because he's a good father who loves you. And his no is something we need to be thankful for. Well, why? Because it means that he knows that something better for you is here if you would just trust him. And so we come to that last part, being watchful and thankful. That's what the NIV says. But the idea here is being watchful in thanksgiving. That's a better translation. Thanksgiving is the attitude in which we're supposed to come to God in our prayers, being thankful to him is how we're supposed to come to God in our prayers, in our watchfulness. So what does it mean to be thankful here? It means that even when it's hard and we are suffering for the cause of Christ, we trust that God is good and that he's working all things together for the good of those who love him. So Romans 8, 28 says, we know that that in all things, God works together for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose, right? And then it goes on to say that those he predestined or those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son. So this is the ultimate goal. And sometimes in order for you to be conformed to the likeness of his son, sometimes you have to suffer a little bit. Why? Are you greater than your master? If Jesus suffered on this earth because evil men were around him and he presented the gospel, will you not suffer as well? So in your suffering, what God is actually doing is making you more and more like Christ. And so thank you, God. Trust that God is good. And I'm not saying it's going to be easy. And I'm not saying to be weird in your suffering, being like, I'm so happy I'm suffering right now. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is even when it's hard, 
And it takes strength for you to pull out of your heart and understanding that in the midst of your situation, God is good and he knows what's best, even though you can't see beyond the nose in front of your face. You start to think, okay, I know God knows what's best. I can't see beyond my circumstance, but I know my God can. I know that he's good and I know he works all things, even my sufferings, even the sufferings of people around me together for the good of those who love him. I trust in that word. I trust that my God is good. And right now I'm gonna live by faith. And so... So we pull up in our hearts. We pull up in our hearts, even when it's hard. A thank you, God. When it's good, when it's bad, I know you're good. And I trust you. And I thank you. And I know that this is something. And the Bible says you work all things. And so I know that you're working this thing to the good. That's ultimately for my good. Being watchful and thankful. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful in thanksgiving. In other words, in other words, keep talking to Jesus. In other words, stay close to Jesus. Good relationships require good communication. Communicate with Jesus. Don't fall asleep. Being watchful in thanksgiving. Watchfulness is also this idea of being awake. And you're not supposed to fall asleep while you're praying. Did you know that? We all do it. Don't, don't look at me like that. I know I do it. You've done it. We've all been like praying on our bed pillow and we fall asleep, okay? I mean, you just got to remember what happened at Gethsemane when, when Jesus was about to be crucified and he asks his disciples, he says, hey, will you stay awake and pray for me in this hour of my need? And so he goes off and prays and he comes back only to find his disciples being the opposite of vigilant, the opposite of guarding. They were sleeping. We are so lazy sometimes with our prayer lives. I was reading, um, I'm taking a Reformation Studies class this semester and I was reading Martin Luther on this. And he advocates for a vigilant prayer life where you are not just praying passively, but you are actively remembering what you prayed for. How can you thank God for the prayers that he's answered in your life if you don't pay enough attention to your own prayers? Don't fall asleep. Be more intentional in your prayer life. So there's two types of people who sleep while they're praying. There's those who fall asleep while they're praying, and I think we're all guilty of that, but then there are also those people who are asleep while they're praying. And this would be the Pharisees. This would be those who don't watch for the times that they're living in, that aren't praying in faith to God, who function as Christians, but really are sleeping If only the Pharisees knew the hour that had come upon them when Jesus Christ 2,000 years ago entered into Jerusalem. They missed it. This is what we see in the New Testament. The day of Jesus' triumphal entry, today's Palm Sunday, by the way, right? You saw his disciples hearing about the fact that Jesus had just raised Lazarus from the dead. And so there's good gossip going on around Jerusalem. And his disciples, all of a sudden, when they find out he's coming into the city, they come and they bring palm branches and they lay them down and they say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. But the Pharisees all the while, while while all this good gossip is going around about Lazarus being raised from the dead and people think, oh my gosh, this is the Messiah. The Pharisees were concerned, so concerned about getting the religion stamped out by the Romans that they were starting to plot to kill Jesus behind the scenes. Not just the Pharisees, but the Sanhedrin, the ruling council of Jews in that day. 
So while people, the disciples of Jesus are excited, those who actually had control of the city were plotting to kill their Messiah. And they missed it. And this sentiment is captured well in Luke chapter 19, verses 39 through 44. And Luke chapter 19, Jesus is coming through and, and there's this triumphal entry. He's coming into Jerusalem. And this is supposed to be the day that their king is coming into Jerusalem. It's been prophesied about as well. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd come up to Jesus. And in verse 39, they say, teacher, rebuke your disciples. And then Jesus says in verse 40, he says, I tell you, if they keep quiet, these stones will cry out. And then what does he do? In the midst of this entry into Jerusalem, as he is approaching Jerusalem, the city, by the way, that is called the city of peace, Jerusalem, Salem is the Hebrew word for peace. It's supposed to be the city of peace. He saw it. And in the midst of this triumphal entry, he weeps over the city. And this is what he says. He says, if you, even you had only known on this day, what would bring you peace. Do you see the irony? The city of peace could not see what would bring them peace. He says, but now it is hidden from your eyes. He's saying it was your responsibility to know. You were supposed to be watchful, Jerusalem, but you weren't. You were asleep. And so how does God judge those who stubbornly do not see? Well, first he seals them in their blindness. And then he gives sight to others so that the foolishness of those who are blind would be made manifest. Secondly, he withholds his blessing and he allows those people who reject him to be destroyed. Let's look at verses 43. It says, the days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. Then they will dash you to the ground, you and your children within your walls. They will not leave one stone left on the other. Why? Because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. Be watchful. You have a responsibility. So Jesus dies in around AD 33. And then in AD 70, Jerusalem is captured by the Romans and destroyed, just like Jesus predicted. If only they had known the time of Jesus' coming. So you have a responsibility to stay close to Jesus, to stay faithful to him. So how do you do this? Devote yourselves to prayer. Continue in prayer, being watchful in thanksgiving. And then Paul goes on to say this. He says, and pray also for us that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I might proclaim it clearly as I should. Do you want to be close to God? Then you need to stay close to his mission and you need to pray for it. Did this message draw you closer to God, or did you trust Christ as your Lord and Savior today? We want to hear about it. Let us know by going to turnevangelism.com forward slash connect and fill out the form at the bottom of the page and tell us what God did in your life through this message. Also, if you would like to bring T.S. Myers out to do ministry with your church or organization, send us a message on our website, turnevangelism.com. Thank you for joining us for this message from Turn Evangelism with T.S. Myers.